Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Breaking Down the Doors. I am Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat reporter with the Tennessee, and I'm here with Gentry Estes, Tennessean sports columnist. Gentry, how are we doing post-Thanksgiving? I'm good. Good. Uh, you've had an interesting week, though. I think we've got plenty to talk about uh, breaking down the doors today. Yes, yeah, the old, uh, I think we may have mentioned this last week, about the, there's certain things you don't discuss over Thanksgiving. And politics is one of them. Well, that's all that the last few days has uh, has filled my inbox with. Let me ask you this: How which of these Vanderbilt sports storylines should be political? Three storylines: Vanderbilt baseball's national title team declined an invitation to the White House. Vanderbilt football coach Derek Mason was retained for a seventh season, and a player for a rival football team stepped on a Vanderbilt player's face during a game. Which of those three do you think I got a lot in my inbox about politically speaking? Which should be or which which <laughs> which ones were? Yeah, I think you already know the answer to this. Right? I mean, maybe the first one because it's the White House, but the explanation wasn't political. It was a scheduling, and then the, the other two I don't think should be political at all. Well, the answer is if you read my emails, tweets, DMs, a number of even even Facebook messages, um, all of them, all of them have are infused with uh, political stances, political opinions, political perspectives. Um, and it surprised me somewhat. I'm, I'm rarely surprised by, by just about anything I get these days, but I would say about 80% of the emails that I got over the past week about these three topics um, were political. And so we're going to be a little serious and then a little fun maybe after that. We're going to talk about, uh, talk about the, that to some extent. It's a peculiar perspective, really. Uh, I got a lot of per- peculiar perspectives in my inbox of the stances that people were taking. I thought about reading some of the emails. I, I, pushed, I pushed back from that because a lot of Vandy fans and, and other readers send me a whole lot, of, whole lot of things, questions, and just normal sort of who's in the wide receiver rotation and why were we pressing – with two minutes left in the game, up five, that, those sort of uh, sports questions. So I don't want to, you know, push aside that trust. So I'm not going to read these word for word, but I will say just a couple of examples. And you and I were laughing about this before we went on air for this podcast. That um, I I got accused, and others were accused that I cover of these two. This is this is what the range is: alt right racist, naive liberal cuck. Those are the two. By the way, I had to Google cuck to make sure it wasn't profane. It's not. It means a uh, weak, progressive man in the urban, <laughs> in the urban dictionary. Alt-right racist, uh, naive liberal cuck. That's the, that's the range that we're talking about, which, by the way, if you average those two out, is right in the meaty middle of where an objective journalist should be, I suppose. Uh, by the way, I, I'm not bothered by name-calling or anything like that, as long as they're not threats. Um, but my uh, my daughter and I actually have fun with these. They're, they're pretty good comic relief when you read some of the emails. They have a lot of exclamation points and a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of uh, capital letters and all that. So some of these are taken in fun, but it's uh, it's I, I get a lot of these, and we're not talking about two or three emails. I'm talking about dozens of emails uh, with political stances on these three topics. So that's why we're going to talk about those. Here's what's interesting about this to me is, like as a columnist, I write opinions a lot, so I, I get strong 
opinions back, and you expect that because there's my opinion, and you get them back. Sure, it's it's people are going to disagree with it. These were news stories. Yeah. And you reported them very much as news stories. And Here's what happened. Here's what they said. The end. So I'm un- I'm not understanding how you're being accused of slanting it one way or the other when you clearly didn't. Well, number one, there's weirdos out there. Um, there's a. I'll get I'll get back to that. So there's a funny one I just thought of was wasn't entirely funny, but you've been at the Tennessee in what now a couple months maybe. Before your time, um, especially before your time, I think I still get some emails from this guy. But there's a guy that emailed me for, I'm saying, about three years straight. I mean, constantly, every day, several per day. Accused me of, I'm going to paraphrase here, but me, Tim Corbin, and David Williams, the former AD, the late AD, were in kind of a triad of um, alt-right, anti-immigration, pro-gun, um, racist agenda. Us three, Tim Corbin, Adam Sparks, David Williams, because those are the three names that were usually put in these emails. By the way, if people don't know, David Williams was an African-American man who very much was kind of put his career into the um, into civil rights, those sort of things. So it was really odd to see a lot of those emails, but that's that's some of the craziness. That's how far it goes one way or another. I mean, if he really believes that, he's giving you a lot of respect to to think you you hold enough weight. That's to, right. That's right. Yeah. A a uh, white forty year old beat writer, a from West Tennessee, who speaks as I'm speaking right now. Uh, a, a college baseball coach with a Boston accent. Probably the best coach yeah. in college baseball. Yeah. And a black seventy year old man in Detroit from Detroit. We but us three together had been working together in this alt right triad. Anyway, I get those, and then I get the far. Uh, other end of the spectrum, but here, here's the here's the the take that I want to throw into this. Uh, a, a lot of people are reasonable in other things, but send these emails with a lot of these hardline political stances, far left or far right, on these storylines and others. Here's my take on this: If you don't want politics in sports, which is a common complaint now, keep politics out of sports. Just I just want my sports, and that's all 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 I want. That's fine. But if that's your perspective, don't then see politics in sports. If you don't want them in there, don't put them in there on your own. Amen. So when you when you see a something like a Derek Mason is retained, don't say, "Well, let me tell you politically why that's happening." No, no, that's not that's not why that's happening. Well, the, I know why you reported on that guy that stepped on the guy's face. It's because. Here's your political agenda in that. It's really weird to have those takes. Now, the second one, I'm talking mostly about Tennessee fans, but but if it happened the other way, we, I'd get the same accusations from Vanderbilt fans. So you don't have to see politics in most things because politics are in actually very few things. Agreed? Yeah, and, and in these instances, I I mean, we, we talked about the decision on Derek Mason a couple, you know, po- a couple podcasts ago, so we've been over that, and... The other two things, I didn't personally think either was that big a deal. Um, I saw the video with Jawan Jennings, and I, I, I don't think we'll ever know if he did mean to do it or not. I think you can look at that and see it either way, and people are. Tennessee fans see it one way, Vanderbilt fans see it another way. It's I I, I didn't think he meant to do it, but I don't know. And, and that's kind of where you're at with it. As far as the White House thing, I mean, Tim Corbin explained it. I... I 
I think people could easily make that political by saying a team refused to go because that's been an issue with some other teams. You know, obviously that that's that has been political, but in this case, I don't think it was. I think Tim Corbin told you immediately why they didn't go and. Let's take that one first. So let's look at these three storylines. The first one, yeah, I think you can make a case that there there may may be political connotations to it because it's the White House and it's to say how to the because president. teams have not wanted to go. Sure, sure. So you've got a pattern there. Um, this was um, this was first reported. Um, I want to say D one baseball maybe, but then the Washington Post picked up on the political side of it, and you know the the. The way it was covered when it came out was, well, another team didn't go to the White House. Is this the is this the same as some of the other teams? Is there political you know reasoning behind this? They didn't necessarily say that, but I guess that was the inference. Um, I had people email me, Vandy baseball fans, that sent a series of emails that goes something like this: The Washington Post is a liberal rag, and I wouldn't believe a word it says. By the way, I'm done with Tim Corbin and that Vandy baseball team because the Washington Post just told me that they're not going for political reasons. So how can you how can you say I don't believe anything that that news organization tells me, but based on what it told me, I am done with this baseball team? I, I do wonder how everything does. It, it does seem like everything becomes political this this. this and it's and jumping to and, assumptions, too. I wonder sometimes because... For what we do, I think people misconstrue sometimes. And here we we're sports writers here, yep. so I think that needs to be said first off. But there is a political podcast that's done in this room on these mics, but we don't we don't yeah, host right. It. But I, I think what you see is I think people don't always differentiate between the TV stations, TV news stations, yes, and other print journalists, you know, or, or uh, you know, Washington Post, New York Times. That what they do in a lot of cases is is different than what you see. CNN, Fox News, the, those type of 24-hour outlets where basically what you see on those is you see people cast in roles to sit at a table and argue. And yes. it's called journalism. And But it's not. No, it's not because they are cast in those roles. For example, in the 2016 election, you would, you would go to CNN and you would see someone's name and they would be labeled Clinton supporter, Trump supporter. Right. What I don't like about that is they're bringing them on there to play a role. To read a script, and basically because, let's say that Clinton supporter didn't like something that Hillary did in the course of that election, couldn't say that because it's supposed to be the Clinton supporter, right? So you can't, you're not allowed to give an honest opinion because you're playing roles. To me, that's not journalism, and and I don't I don't like that approach. And I think what happens is people are have, have gotten used to seeing that, and they think that is news, and it isn't. Yeah, everything becomes murky with that. That's the model. It's the news model. It's not the sports model, but sports has picked up some of it, and people see that in the same way. You mentioned before, you're a columnist. I'm a beat writer. I think 20, 30 years ago, people understood the distinction between those two. I'm not so sure they do anymore. Social media is part of that because everybody has a take, right? And by the way, sometimes I'll tweet, here's my take on why Vanderbilt does something. I try to make the distinction of this is my interpretation of why they are making this decision. Malcolm Turner, my understanding, this is why he is keeping Derek Mason. I'm not saying this is why Adam Sparks would or wouldn't. This is as a beat writer how I'm seeing the facts and putting them together. You're a columnist. You write your opinion. I'm a beat writer. I write news. And I think people don't quite get that as much because 
Yeah, it starts with uh, Fox News, MSNBC, far right, far left, right? And then everything in between where everybody comes on there and, right, that's, here's my take from this side, here's my take from that side. And then it morphed into sports a little bit with TV, some talk radio, but sports talk has always been that way. But, you know, I thought part of the interruption did it really well right off the bat on ESPN. Those are two columnists giving their take, but then there's been a thousand uh, attempts to do that same thing over the years, and they're usually not very good. Well, and I'll say, too, from the sports media landscape, one thing you see a lot more of now are Homer journalists at, yes. at various sites that are being credentialed by these schools. You know people, you know people like that. I know people like that, and, and you see it quite a bit in college sports more than anything else. And if, that's, if the Juwan Jennings situation happened – if it was a Vanderbilt player that had done it, I know quite a few people that cover Tennessee that would have had a lot different response. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I, I think so it's easy for people to kind of see it that way too. I, it, it, it's an echo chamber. echo chamber where, yeah, you, you, you want to hear from people who have the same views as you, and if they don't, then it's well, it's political. Well, the Juwan Jennings thing, the, the, the what I got from that was – the, the the far range was they should forfeit the bowl, not go to the bowl game. He should be kicked off the team, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the other far end was he he didn't do anything. He's a good kid. My He signed a jersey for my grandson, and he's the greatest kid in the world. Well, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Now, that night, I remember talking to— And the footage to, wasn't— that conclusive? It was, no, it was no. hard to tell. I talked to objective people that had nothing to do with Tennessee or Vanderbilt that night, and I had one guy say, I looked at it, I don't think it was intentional. And then I had somebody else said, I think it had to be intentional. And that's two people that looked at the same footage and saw two different things. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the lesson for everything that we're talking about. If something is subjective, it's okay to have different views on it. Um, but the reporting of it has to be objective. Now, the one thing that I heard that night that maybe had a little something to it was stomped versus stepped on. Uh, I think that was actually debated in our newsroom a little bit because it's it's almost how force it's how forceful it was. Did he stomp on him? Did he step on him? Uh, now, it was it intentional or unintentional? That wasn't written because that's an opinion. Um, but that was really the only. Can I also point out that how boring that game was that this is even – yeah. this is all anyone ever talked about right. at the end of it. Just a truly just miserable game. It, 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 by the way, as we're, uh, as we're doing this podcast now on Tuesday afternoon, I reached out to the SEC because I've been asked by a number of people about this. Reach out to the SEC for clarification. If they saw anything impermissible, they review all video. SEC got back to me this afternoon said, we review all video, uh, we communicate directly to the team, we don't give out that information, which is just a way of saying – we told Vandy, by the way, a couple hours ago, they had not told Vandy. So we'll see if that if that happens or not. And um, This is pretty standard, though, isn't it? I mean, yes. like if you miss a holding call, or it's the same Vandy same sends procedure. in, here's the 10 plays that we would like a clarification on, and then they send it back. We'll see if Vandy so says So they wanted a though. clarification on guy getting I mean, on. was the hit late? I don't know that it was. It was right on the edge of the sideline. I, I did think the hit was late. When uh, I saw it live, I thought he hit him out of bounds. I, I thought live he, he hit him late. When I saw the replay, I thought it was a little too bang-bang, so I'm I'm not real sure. We well, also uh, got a wide receiver out there tackling somebody, which 
yeah. doesn't normally happen. A wide receiver, I think, is looking at it and saying, this game's over. This is my last game in Neyland Stadium oh, ever. And light, you know what? I'm, I'm a gunner this or up. whatever. This is my <laughs> last play yep. of college football in Neyland Stadium, except for the bowl, but in Neyland Stadium. I'm about to have fun, you know. Maybe that maybe that was it for the hit. I don't it looked like he pulled his helmet off. I don't know if he stepped on on purpose or not, but anyway, that's again, that's you get two people look at the same thing, see two and different things. And my th- thing about this too is it's like what's going to come of that? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's interesting to talk about, but it wasn't wasn't flagged when it happened. It wasn't maybe it should have been. Well, this is this is kind of goes to the reply uh, that I made on an email yesterday to somebody who sent me like a thousand, well, this is two or three different people sent me a million emails about the White House thing. At some point, I said, why do you care if a 19-year-old, not even go to the White House, why do you care if a 19-year-old likes the current president or the previous president? Why do you care? Because this is a lot of what it, well, I think this player is anti-Trump. I think this player is pro-Trump. I have a problem with this player. I have a problem with that player. They're 18, 19, 20. Who cares? My kid's 16. I could care less what what political figure that she likes or doesn't like. I wonder sometimes because I'll, I'll tell you, the one of the few areas of American society right now that I don't think has been affected by this, I, don't, I haven't seen it be affected by this, and it could potentially be a real problem if it was, are locker rooms. Teams are pretty good about not making this a thing, NFL in particular. Yep. And I know they have the whole anthem thing, and I think that that, that certainly political matters have made their way into the NFL, but I think sports teams have done a better job than almost anywhere else of not allowing this to become divisive. Like you said, you don't talk about it at Thanksgiving? I, I've argued with family members. Yeah. I mean, I have, and and like it's, it's so. It really, it becomes like, where do you? It's amazing to me that you can have such cohesion. And I think teams are better about that because you never hear about teams that completely divisive over this sort right. of thing. Well, I, I you know, I, I'm convinced social media has a lot to do with this because uh, you, it, I thought of this when you said the word teams in a different sense, right? Everybody has to be on the, which team are you on, right? Usually it's political party. Which team are you on? Most people are not on a team. There's nuance and there's a that's, mixture of things. That's, and That's true. And, yeah. and to believe what you see on social media is to believe that it's to believe, very, yes. very distinct. Yes. And, and I don't think it is. Yes, and hey, we're picking teams. Are you on this team or that team? you got to pick a team. And I think it forces people, you know, 30 years ago, um, you know, before, well, before social media, but certainly before the internet, I think there were a lot of things back then that, people didn't care about that suddenly we care about the team is or isn't going to go to the white house and they it's not political it's scheduling maybe it was political who knows they said this but did they mean that does that really matter do you really care if that happened 20 years ago and it wasn't on twitter would you really care i mean really really well, care like you said you got the email with with the guy saying i'm done with this baseball program and over this yeah really yeah i but, mean you know they won a national championship they're pretty good. I mean, and usually people saying that don't mean it, right? I'm never gonna drink Coca Cola again because my neighbor told me that they gave five bucks to a cause that I'm not supporting. I mean, mo- and that's that's the part I don't understand where people take it to such extremes. When hey, there might have been an explanation that wasn't political here, right? 
uh, the um, uh, so la- the last one, Derek Mason, and you're right. We have talked about this for a couple weeks now. Um, I've gotten as many emails over Derek Mason, politically speaking, uh, race infused, over the past three days as I have the other two, which again surprised me. Uh, first off, I've I continue to tell people he's coming back next season. I keep getting these. Maybe now we'll get rid of him. Well, that l- looked oh. terrible against UT. Maybe now we'll get rid. No, well, no. They announced this to to, to remove all speculation. Yes. It, so. Yeah, that's why you put that statement out. And Vandy is not really the top to then go back on that. But but the race part is is weird. Now, I mean, I'm not naive to think that race never plays a part in hiring and firing in in, in any industry that you want to pick. Right. That's that's part of life. Um, I'm not naive to that, but it's it's not as prevalent as people think. Um, you know, the, the 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 two arguments that I've gotten that are putting race into this, and and again, I, I mean, I hate to hit this topic, but this I get I get a lot of communications with better than um, replying to a hundred emails. It's easier to say on the podcast and people can hear. Um, but the idea that Derek Mason was retained for another season because of his race. Um, is is odd um, and it's shallow because it's it's not looking at all the other factors involved. You know, the one of the examples I was given, I've been given this many times. Well, they fired Bryce Drew. Well, as I said, I think a week ago on this podcast, Bryce Drew had two years left on a contract, making about a million and a half dollars less than Derek Mason. He just had the worst season in the history of the SEC at a program that's used to winning. Derek Mason just had a terrible season a year after going to a bowl at a program that's historically been terrible. He makes about a million and a half dollars more than Bryce Drew. He had about four or five years left on his contract when Drew had two years left. So race is like uh, the difference in them in, in, in their race is like the 20th thing on a list of 20 things. And number one, two, and three are the things that I just named. Malcolm Turner he he hinted at this mid-season with football that he viewed men's basketball differently from football. Which he should. But yeah, because of the support they've been given. And he clearly referenced what he wants to do with the stadium and the resources given the program for football in announcing that, that, that Derek would be back. So I, I think you you cannot equate those programs in any way. No. I think that's ridiculous. And I, I keep – this is the second one of two. I keep getting the list of coaches. Every time a coach is fired – um, Barry Odom, Chad Morris. Am I forgetting somebody in the SEC? Uh, Matt Luke. Oh yeah, and Matt Luke. There you go. Yep. Uh, white coaches fired. Derek Mason wasn't fired. Quickly point out. Well, Charlie Strong was fired, and Willie Taggart was fired. But also the contract situations, the programs where they are in their tenure, their expectations are completely different. Now. Any of those points are, are, are fair game. Argue any of those. Vandy doesn't care enough. Well, Vandy should pay the buyout. Well, Vandy should fire the coach, hire a new coach, and then worry about facilities. All those are fine. You can make all those arguments. But when race is involved, it's, it's, it's again, it's, you're, you're missing the chance to argue five other points that are all fair points by going to one that's, that's not fair, that's ignorant. Um, you know, let, let, let me point this out. Will Muschamp was kept. Now, Will Muschamp 
right now looks like a mediocre coach at an SEC program. Right? Not great, not terrible. Middle of the road. He was retained. Derek Mason was retained. What do they have in common? Will Muschamp is owed 19 to $22 million in a buyout. He was kept because they owe him a lot of money. Derek Mason, in part, was kept because he owed a lot of money. Usually schools care more about millions and millions of dollars more than they care how much melanin is in your skin. Yeah, and, and Gus Malzahn, I know he just beat Alabama, but I think one of the reasons he's still at Auburn was the fact that his buyout was so extreme when it, when it was being discussed last year. Yeah. And, and you know, and I under, you know anybody listening to this understands race is discussed a lot of times at, at Vanderbilt's university. There's a diversity and inclusion office. I understand that. That's that's I'm not naive to that. But again, you don't have to inject race into something that doesn't have race. Malcolm Turner's worried a whole lot about trying to figure out the money situation than he is the race of the coach. There is so much at stake for an SEC football or basketball program, given the fact that those at most schools are the only two programs that bring in money. Yep. Um, football in particular. And there, there is no, you, you got to win. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, none of this other stuff, it doesn't matter. You have to have a coach that wins. And I, I don't think, and, and by the same token, I mean, you can, you can look at Florida state. Willie Taggart was fired you know, in the middle of his second season because he didn't win. Right. And Florida State football is used to a lot better. You see the attendance at their games. They need more money coming in. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Now, if we want to talk about the fact Vanderbilt isn't getting fans at their games. That's fine. You know, we can yeah. talk about that. That's, yes. That, that sh- was one of the reasons I did believe Vandy probably was going to make the move this time. But anyway, I I think to get, to get into this uh, – Man, I hadn't seen your email inbox. But it, it, to, to get <laughs> I just think started. you're missing the opportunity to to jump on pretty decent arguments when you're making a bad one. So don't make the bad one. Make try to make the good arguments. You know, <laughs> the 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 affirmative action argument is weird. It's really really weird. But uh, anyway, that's. This is easier to do this than to answer all those emails with copy and paste. I, I eventually started doing that, just copy and paste the the quick reply. I've now gone down the, the wormhole, though, of I'm now getting emails of political things that have nothing to do with sports. Once you get into that... You, you did kind of... When you acknowledge it, as you yes. did... That's I should have known. We have be- just done in this entire podcast. I should have known better because the guy that said me, David Williams, and Tim Corbin were the triad of the alt right. Um, when I, I answered that guy, I think in one email, and said something of you know a, a, that's not really something we're interested in covering. That's not a sports topic or whatever he was pushing. That went straight into a lot of assumptions of well, now I know you're alt right. That's the one thing, and you you referenced it. I think you sent out a tweet that was that said, "Look, you, nobody knows how I vote." You know, right. I, I, and 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 it's the assumptions that, and it doesn't matter, like right, right, and and but it is. There's a lot of people out there that'll assume things right. without you don't know. You, you know how how can you know you don't? Yeah, I don't care what how a stranger votes. They're a stranger. They don't matter to me. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but yeah, I mean, why? Why do? I don't understand why people would care. I don't really care about the viewpoints of other people, other people that I don't know. Right. Which is what Twitter is. Right. 
and I think that goes back to the original thing of columnist, beat writer. Um, people don't understand that our job is similar to their job. We clock in, we try to do a good job, and then we clock out and we go home and watch Netflix and eat a TV dinner or whatever, you know. You eat TV dinner, don't you? <laughs> no, I was about to say that. I, I, I would like to cook more than I do, but yeah. I, I'd say more fast food than TV but dinner. It's, but it's, uh, I guess my point is uh, most things that, uh, that run through our daily, uh, our, our job covering sports has absolutely nothing to do with politics. I learned last night you've run a marathon. That's insane. Oh yeah, yeah. You didn't know that. Now, yeah, that, talking about TV dinners and you're. Mm. Yeah, I I ran right before I did this podcast. Yeah, I've got to get back to it. I did uh, my last marathon. I was immediately followed by two back surgeries. I've not run one since then, and I don't think I'll run anymore because I don't want a third back surgery. So, there you that, go. once you get to forty, you shouldn't run marathons anymore. That is that is something. Yeah, that's that's that good. Something. That's the best advice I've given in this uh, podcast. Don't run after 40, or don't run 26.2 miles after 40. All right, so I hope we have uh, helped you understand this. I don't think we have, but we at least made the attempt. Um, that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. Uh, we hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Gentry, I'm Adam Sparks. See you next time.